This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tremendous Trifles by G. K. Chesterton Chapter 21 A Great Man People accuse journalism of being too personal, but to me it has always seemed far too impersonal. It is charged with tearing away the veils from private life, but it seems to me to be always dropping diaphanous but blinding veils between men and men. The yellow press is abused for exposing facts which are private. I wish the yellow press did anything so valuable. It is exactly the decisive individual touches that it never gives. And a proof of this is that after one has met a man a million times in the newspapers, it always seems a complete shock and a reversal to meet him in real life. The yellow pressman seems to have no power of catching the first fresh fact about a man that dominates all after impressions. For instance, before I met Bernard Shaw, I heard that he spoke with a reckless desire for paradox or a sneering hatred of sentiment. But I never knew until he opened his mouth that he spoke with an Irish accent, which is more important than all the other criticisms put together. Journalism is not personal enough. So far from digging out private personalities, it cannot even report the obvious personalities on the surface. Now there is one vivid and even bodily impression of this kind which we have all felt when we met great poets or politicians, but which never finds its way into the newspapers. I mean the impression that they are much older than we thought they were. We connect the great men with their great triumphs, which generally happened some years ago, and many recruits enthusiastic for the thin Napoleon of Marengo must have found themselves in the presence of the fat Napoleon of Leipzig. I remember reading a newspaper account of how a certain rising politician confronted the House of Lords with the enthusiasm almost of boyhood. It described how his brave young voice rang in the rafters. I also remember that I met him some days after, and he was considerably older than my own father. I mention this truth for only one purpose. All this generalization leads up to only one fact, the fact that I once met a great man who was younger than I expected. I had come over the wooded wall from the villages about Epsom, and down a stumbling path between trees toward the valley in which Dorking lies. A warm sunlight was working its way through the leafage, a sunlight which, though of saintless gold, had taken on the quality of evening. It was such a sunlight as reminds a man that the sun begins to set an instant afternoon. It seems to lessen as the wood strengthened and the road sank. I had a sensation peculiar to such entangled descents. I felt that the treetops that closed above me were the fixed and real things, certain as the level of the sea, but that the solid earth was every instant failing under my feet. In a little while that splendid sunlight showed only in splashes, like flaming stars and suns in the dome of the green sky. Around me in that emerald twilight were trunks of trees of every plain or twisted type. 
it was like a chapel supported on columns of every earthly and unearthly style of architecture without intention my mind grew full of fancies on the nature of the forest on the whole philosophy of mystery and force for the meaning of woods is the combination of energy with complexity a forest is not in the least rude or barbarous it is only dense with delicacy unique shapes that an artist would copy or a philosopher watch for years if he found them in an open plain are here mingled and confounded but it is not a darkness or deformity it is a darkness of life a darkness of perfection and I began to think how much of the highest human obscurity is like this, and how much men have misunderstood it. People will tell you, for instance, that theology became elaborate because it was dead. Believe me, if it had been dead, it would never have become elaborate. It is only the live tree that grows too many branches. These trees thinned and fell away from each other, and I came out into deep grass and a road. I remember being surprised that the evening was so far advanced. I had a fancy that this valley had a sunset all to itself. I went along that road according to directions that had been given me, and passed the gateway in a slight paling beyond which the wood changed only faintly to a garden. It was as if the curious courtesy and fineness of that character I was to meet went out from him upon the valley for I felt on all these things the finger of that quality which the old English call fairy. It is the quality which those can never understand who think of the past as merely brutal. It is an ancient elegance such as there is in trees. I went through the garden and saw an old man sitting by a table looking smallish in his big chair. He was already an invalid and his hair and beard were both white, not like snow for snow is cold and heavy, but like something feathery or even fierce. Rather they were white like the white thistledown. I came up quite close to him. He looked at me as he put out his frail hand, and I saw of a sudden that his eyes were startlingly young. He was the one great man of the old world whom I have met, who was not a mere statue over his own grave. He was deaf, and he talked like a torrent. He did not talk about the books he had written. He was far too much alive for that. He talked about the books he had not written. He unrolled a purple bundle of romances, which he had never had time to sell. He asked me to write one of the stories for him, as he would have asked the milkman if he had been talking to the milkman. It was a splendid and frantic story, a sort of astronomical farce. It was all about a man who was rushing up to the Royal Society, with the only possible way of avoiding an earth-destroying comet, and it showed how even on this huge errand the man was tripped up at every other minute by his own weakness and vanities, how he lost the train by trifling, or was put in goal for brawling. That is only one of them. There were ten or twenty more. Another I dimly remember was a version of the fall of Parnell, the idea that a quite honest man might be secret from a pure love of secrecy, of solitary self-control. I went out of that garden with a blurred sensation of the million possibilities of creative literature. The feeling increased as my way fell back into the wood, for a wood is a palace with a million corridors that cross each other everywhere. I really had the feeling that I had seen the creative quality 
which is supernatural. I had seen what Virgil calls the old man of the forest. I had seen an elf. The trees thronged behind my path. I have never seen him again, and now I shall not see him, because he died last Tuesday. The end of chapter 21